We're in Luke's Gospel, chapter 17 this morning. And, and with this, I, I titled the, the study this morning, Forgiveness Takes Faith. That's forgiveness takes faith. And this was something that the Lord was, was speaking to me in. You know, sometimes we have in our life people who, who come against us, people who've hurt us in our life. And there are those instances and maybe those Memories that we look back at with pain and with bitterness and, and sorrow. And we wish these things didn't happen. And for many people, what that turns into, when there's, there's been pain, when there's been offense, when there has been hurt, what it turns into is hatred and, and, and bitterness. And that stirs up in people's hearts. And as you allow that hatred to stir in you, if that is us this morning, because sometimes we do have that, and we don't deal with it, we don't take it before the Lord, that, then it begins to become an issue between you and the Lord at that point. And with this, there's, there's a time, you know, to, to refrain from correcting. And sometimes there's a time to, to speak out so that we have to have discernment in these areas of life. You know, sometimes we carry burdens with us that maybe we're not even supposed to carry. We carry uh, grudges that need to be dealt with and things that need to be settled. And You know, I always say that in, in ministry, and as a Christian, good ministry and maturity and growing as a believer is to not look back at the past. It is to, to move forward with, today is the, re- the first day of the rest of your life. And th- what is... God calling you to do today? And where do you want the Lord to take you? And another part of this study, that, which is a huge part of the study, is forgiveness. Is that we have to have forgiveness in our hearts, that we're commanded to do so. Jesus even said it, if you don't forgive your brethren, that God won't forgive you. And that's a, that's a heavy text, and I cannot take away or try to try to change that you know we there has to be forgiveness in our in our life and of course we're going to get into the topic of being able to to forgive and and not having reconciliation we'll get into that topic a little bit later in the study but before i i I go too far with my my intro i i do want to let's read this portion of scripture that we're in this morning of luke's gospel chapter 17 we're going to read from verses 1 through 19 So starting with verse 1, it says, Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, Rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. So the Lord said, 
If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what it was our duty to do. It says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So we see really two main topics of our scripture today. First, we see how Jesus is dealing when it comes to us when we are offended, and we will be offended, that Jesus says. And then secondly, the account of the ten lepers who are healed. So what is an offense? The Greek word for an offense, it's a trap. It's like that of an animal trap. Stumbling block to get in the way of someone else, too, as they're journeying somewhere. The word for it is, it it could also literally mean a scandal. Uh, It's something to bring another into sin. And Jesus said these are guaranteed to us. Those are one of the promises in the Bible that I hate. Where Jesus said, look, he promised us, look, you're going to have tribulation in this world. And I'm like, no. Why did he have to promise us that, right? Sometimes our flesh, it does not like the trial that God allows us to go through. Let's look at verse 1, he said. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck, and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now this offense, what what he's getting at here is he's warning people. He's warning us, actually. That it would be better for us to die a violent death than to cause another to stumble in sin. Now this millstone in Israel, what they have is they have this, this giant stone that they grind grain on to make for their bread. And it, it's, it's quite large. It's as large as the table that you guys are sitting at in the back there. It's this giant heavy stone. And Jesus is saying, look, tie that thing around your neck and go swimming with the fishes. That's what he's basically saying. It's better for you to do that than to stumble one of these, one of these innocents. 
And that's a heavy charge against us. Because I confess I've stumbled and I have to, I've caused other people to stumble. And I have to ask God, forgive me for the, that sin in my life. I have to repent of that. Which leads me to my, my first point of my study today. Point number one. Let God deal with offenses. I've been exhorted many times before that if we are trying to defend ourselves and in our own strength, we're always trying to defend ourselves. And sometimes God takes a step back and he doesn't defend you when you're doing it apart from Christ. When you're apart from Christ and you're trying to just make sure that everybody knows that you're the man, you're the woman, you're the boss, and, and that they're wrong, and God's not with you in that, then God doesn't need to defend you when you're, not, when you're apart from him. He says in verse 3, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now that's something hard to do in our life, isn't it? In marriages, with family, with friends, with coworkers, to forgive one another. You know, growing up, I, I think I had to learn how to say sorry a lot because I had three older sisters. And it taught me learning that lesson of, okay, I, I have to be able to humble myself and say sorry to one another. In marriage, I, I've been exhorted, these are, some wise words that we should say to, to our spouse when we mess up is, I'm sorry. Which right away, it's like, oh, I don't want to say I'm sorry. Number two is, I love you. Number three, I was, I was wrong. Four is, please forgive me. Okay, those are really hard things to take, right? I'm sorry. I love you, I was wrong, please forgive me. Those are hard because we, don't, we, don't, we always feel like we're right in our mind. And, and something that I, I want to exhort us in that I, I found always, you know, I, I try to put myself before the Lord and, you know, maybe I'm, I'm wrong about something. Maybe there's something in my point of view that I don't see, something that God knows about that I don't see it. So I ask God, if there is, if I'm wrong, God, then show me. And that's a prayer that I, that I present to the Lord because I know that the best thing for me, for my marriage, for the people who I interact with is when I am walking before the Lord correctly. He says, take heed. What that word for, for take heed, it means to pay attention to, to be cautious about. He says, take heed, look, pay attention, be cautious, cautious about yourself. If your brother sins, that word for sin, it's literally to miss the mark. It's like the archer's pulling back the arrow and he shoots and he doesn't hit the bullseye. He goes off course. And that's hitting the bullseye is like walking straight, obeying the will of the Lord in your life. But when we get off course, that's missing the mark. And sometimes people sin against us. They're not walking right towards us. They're behaving terribly towards us at times. If someone sins against us, he says, rebuke them. And the word for rebuke is to reprove, to curb or restrain. So it's literally, you're, you're calling that person 
to consider their behavior. You're saying, hey, look, look at the way you're behaving. Because if their behavior isn't in alignment with Christ, then we should call them out to the standard of who they are in Christ. If someone's proclaiming to be a Christian, then we are, are called to rebuke that person. And the point is this, to show them that you care about them, that you want them to have a right relationship with the Lord. Because it's not just saying, hey, you need to ask me for forgiveness and be right with me and leaving God out of it. The, the point of correction and the purpose of correction is always this, restoration. Restoration to God, first and foremost. And we know this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to have this verse up there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now notice he said, he didn't say, Look, brethren, if someone trespasses, is in a trespass, you who are in the flesh, go deal with it. No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't say you in your anger, go take care of it. He said you who are spiritual, meaning that you are submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life, to what God wants, to where he's leading, where he's guiding. And he says, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Because the, there, there is that temptation to, to get angry with people, isn't there? To blow up and be like, Brah! like it's, it's, it just creeps in us so easily when somebody wrongs us. So the purpose of correction is always restoration. Now, as I, I was coming to this, I, something that came to my mind uh, is a, a couple years back, there was a, a, a court trial. In this case, about Amber Geiger, who was an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas. She killed and murdered a 26-year-old man named Botham Jean. And I, I want to read you guys an excerpt about what happened between the family of this man who was killed by an off-duty patrol officer. It says, on September 26, 2018, Amber Geiger, an off-duty patrol officer in Dallas, entered the apartment of a 26-year-old accountant, Botham Jean. Amber thought it was her own apartment and mistook Jean for a burglar, shooting and killing him. And then one year later, on October 1st, 2019, she was found guilty of murder. On October 2nd, she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. And then Botham Jean's brother, Brant, was allowed to give a statement after she was found guilty. And there's video of this. You go look it up. It's actually quite heart-wrenching. He says this to the woman who killed his brother. And I quote, he says, If you truly are sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I presently want the best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say that in front of my family or anyone. But I don't even want you to go to jail. 
I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. And then he turns to the judge and says, I I, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please? And the judge said, yeah, she allowed it. So this guy gets up and goes and hugs the woman who killed his brother. And it's like, whoa. First of all, this guy was preaching the gospel. And, And then second of all, he has forgiveness towards that woman in his heart. And I was like, wow, I would encourage you guys, go look that, that video up. You guys can find it real easily, Amber Geiger. And what, what I see in that, though, is that God can allow forgiveness in people's hearts for the worst of sins. For the worst of sins. Look at verse 4. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. So this is my second point of my study today. Point two, forgive the offender. Now, something to note here is that there's repentance before forgiveness in this brother-to-brother sin. So I don't see it scripturally accurate that there is forgiveness without repentance. Now that, that's kind of interesting to me because I don't see God putting people in, in that place of forgiveness without repentance. There has to be a repentance. Now, God offers forgiveness to people, but if people reject God's forgiveness, then there is no reconciliation between that person and God. So God is always offering out his love, his grace, his mercy. And you can either choose to accept it or you can choose to reject it. And I, I see that too, true in my life where there's times where, where it, it's going to be forgiveness, but there's no reconciliation because there's no repentance. It says this, In Matthew's gospel, chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, this is what this verse reminded me of. That time Peter asked Jesus, he said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math, 70 times seven It's 490. I used my calculator. Now, Jesus is saying, look, you should forgive him 490 times. Now, is that literal 490 times? Because keep keep in mind, this is what you would have to do in order to get to that. The same brother would have to commit the same sin against you. He commits the sin once. Okay, I forgive you one time. And then you write a, start a little journal. It's like, oh, he committed that same sin against me today. There's the second time, okay, I forgive you. And then the third time, okay, I forgive you. And the fourth time, he's like, hey, I'm sorry, I did it again. Okay, I forgive you. 
And by the time I'm like, you get to 400, 300 and, oh, and so 489, and you're like, and 490, we're done. We're good. I don't have to forgive you anymore. No, that's, that's not the point. The point is that you're going to be counting off all this grace and forgiveness where eventually you would learn that forgiveness and grace needs to be constant. It's something that does not end. So the point there isn't 490. It's always giving out that grace. Now, I do see that when it comes to minor offenses, Jesus talked about this, that we're not to be a doormat for people, especially when it comes to to bodily harm. Because people will often take the verse out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, and say, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. But when Jesus was saying this, this phrase in their culture, to slap you on the cheek, it was culturally, un- culturally understood to really be just a, a deep insult. So he's not talking about physical attack here. He's not saying, look, if somebody hits you upside the head with a baseball bat, let him hit the other side of your head with a baseball bat. No, he's not saying that. He, he's speaking right here when he says to turn the other cheek about personal relationships that are going through those insults And basically, the point is not retaliating. Because that's in our nature to do, isn't it? Is, okay, you're going to treat me like that? Well, now I'm going to treat you like this. And we'll see. And if you want to go do your thing, then I'm going to do my thing. And there's nothing you can say because you're doing your thing and I'm doing my thing. And that's the way it is. And that's retaliation at that point. So Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't have that heart. Don't have the mentality. Look, you could only control what you're doing. So if that's what you have control over, then you can't control your spouse. You can't control your coworkers, your, the people you're surrounded with. You can only control yourself. So despite how another person is treating you, you should treat them like Christ. With that love, with that forgiveness, with being able to turn the other cheek when it comes to those insults. And again, that's not physical attack. And also, too, Jesus is not saying, he's not talking about functions of government, okay? He's talking about those personal relationships. That we are to bear insults and offenses with patience. We're to take time with people and realize that we have to allow God to defend us. And God will lead us in certain times to to speak up and to call a person out when they're doing wrong. And that's when you're with God, when you are allowing God to defend you in Christ. And sometimes we got to know when to let someone know that they've done wrong. And that's for restoration. Because again, there is that difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Because, take in mind, you have people who have experienced terrible things done to them in their life when it comes to especially like molestation and and things like that uh, of natures that are so wicked and so evil that you can offer forgiveness, but it doesn't mean you have to be reconciled, okay? So it's not like, okay, let's just forgive and allow that person, the offender, to continue to behave and be around that same people. No, we protect the innocent. We love, we watch after them. So God offers forgiveness to people, but unless they receive his forgiveness, they're not going to be reconciled to God. In verse 5, 
And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Now, Jesus is now pointing to his disciples and saying, the disciples are coming to him. And I like how they ask him for things sometimes. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then they'll come to him and say, Lord, increase our faith. Because after being taught on forgiveness, the disciples are realizing that they need faith to do this work as Jesus is calling them to, to forgive. And so my third point, ask Jesus, increase my faith. It's going to take faith in Jesus to forgive people. It really is in our life. We've all been hurt. We've all been wronged. And sometimes we carry that with us and sometimes we, we want to be made right. So Jesus is saying, look, if you have this faith that, that's such a small little mustard seed. Remember, the mustard seed, it's a tiny seed. Now, you compare that to a mulberry tree, which a mulberry tree is this grand tree with all these cool berries on it that has a grand root structure that goes really deep and really wide. And some of these mulberry trees live up to over close to 600 years. So they have a long lifespan because their roots grow deep. And he's saying if you just have a little bit of faith, you can tell one of these mulberry trees with the deep roots in it to be plucked out and be cast into the sea and it will go. It would obey you. So he's not talking here though about the quantity of faith. He's not talking about the size. It's about what your faith is in. Who your faith is in. It's about the quality of faith. So this is kind of interesting because you could have a lot of faith about thin ice that you're skating on, right? And that thin ice can break. But if you have just a little bit of faith on thick ice that you're skating on, when your faith is in Christ, when your faith is in something that's strong that's not going to be broken, it only takes a little bit of faith to change things. And when it's in Jesus, it causes mountains to be moved. Those deeply rooted issues like forgiveness in our life are then possible by faith in Christ. Now, it is sad when people begin to equate faith to how good of a life a person has. Like saying, look, if you would just have enough faith, brother, sister, your life would be all right. You wouldn't be out of this mess that you're in. And sometimes those people are, are just in a time of struggle. They're, where they're, they're in a place of, of physical harm, maybe. Maybe they're, they're, they're fighting cancer or something like that. And you would say to a person who's fighting with cancer, oh, if you would just have enough faith, God would heal you. Oh, man, that's tragic. Because God is, could still be very well with that person. There was people in the Bible who, who battled with sickness and who were great men of faith. But faith, we recognize, is a gift from God. Corinthians chapter 12 speaks about it. So it's good then that we ask God to increase our faith. 
And when we ask for faith, that he might very well give us the thing which require faith to be increased and exercised. So get this, sometimes we're asking God, okay, God, increase my faith. And God doesn't just like turn on the faith like switches in our brain and say, oh, okay, all of a sudden they got more faith. What he allows us to do sometimes is go through situations that require faith. And that's a hard thing to do. I used to have this friend. We'd be gathered around in a circle. Maybe you've heard me talk about him before. We'd be holding hands in prayer. And uh, if I was, myself or someone else would be praying, oh Lord, we ask for patience. He would interrupt the prayer and say, no Lord, I don't want patience in my life. And we'd be like, what the heck? <laughs> we'd be like, what's this guy interrupting prayer and saying, no, he doesn't want patience in his life. And we would continue praying. And at the end of that, we'd be like, hey bro, like, what's up dude? He's like, well, no, I know if I ask for patience, then God is going to give me trials to make me patient. So I, I don't want to ask for patience in my life. And I was like, you fool. <laughs> God still allowed him to go through trials in his life, and I saw him not have patience through them. And it just ended up in a, him being in worse spots. And he learned, he grew up, and he matured as a, as a Christian, as a believer, and it was awesome to see that. But just because we're afraid to ask for, for faith, that's not a good reason to not ask for it. Because the trials are coming regardless. The offenses are coming regardless. So we should ask for those things, those spirit, gifts of the Spirit, faith, patience, love, joy. And verse 7, And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk? And afterward, you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. Now this, as I was reading it, it's kind of an interesting parable he gives here. He's talking about a worker working in a field. And after he comes in from working in the field to the master, he doesn't then, he says, does he tell the master, okay, now serve me my, my dinner? No, it in fact, the servant offers the master for dinner. He says, okay, let me put, gird myself. That's to tie my, my robe up so I could continue to work, to work for the master. And this moment, it reminded me of the movie Napoleon Dynamite. I don't know if you, if you guys remember that movie, Napoleon Dynamite. I was just talking about it the other day. It reminded me of it. Because if you guys remember in this scene, he goes to work on a chicken farm. And as he's there working on a chicken farm, after, after work, during their lunch hour, they, they sit them down and say, okay, here's the lunch before you guys. And it looks like, like some really dry, crusty sandwiches, a big old thing of egg yolk that they can drink, and then some hard-boiled eggs. That's their lunch. And then they start eating it, and it's just like, oh, it looks terrible. And then at the end of his hard work day, the guy tells him, he's like, oh, I don't have my checkbook, so I hope it's all right if I pay you in change. And he's counting the change at the end of the day, all that he made. And he's like counting all these quarters and dimes up. And he's like, man, $6? That's like a dollar an hour. <laughs> and he's like really upset that he's working for really cheap labor. What this, all, all that reminds me of is, look, the servant doesn't call the shots. That's my illustration. And we don't call the shots when it comes to the Lord. Sometimes there's days when we are working, when we're serving the Lord, whether it's here, whether it is at school, at, at work, 
whether it's in ministry, whatever it might be, when God is, is calling us to serve, there's going to be days when we're just tired. When we're just like, man, I'm not spiritually able to do this right now. I feel weak. I feel like I just want to give up. And we could then, at that point, when we're done working, say, all right, God, well, I put my time in. So now, Lord, it's time for you to bless me. I deserve my blessing now, Lord, and I, uh, I will wait for the paycheck to come in the mail. But that, Jesus is saying, no, we can't have that attitude towards the Lord when we're serving him. He says in verse 10, So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. Which leads me to my fourth point. Serve Christ. Don't demand him. Now, being a servant of the Lord, it, like I said, it, in spiritual matters, it, it can be hard. But Jesus doesn't want us to make those demands on him, but rather to realize that we need to stay humble and do what he's called us to do. And in doing so, actually, there's a, there is a blessing in that. When you are doing what God's called you to do, when you realize that we work for the Lord, I remember just seasons of my life on rooftops, changing out filters in the hot sun and being like, how long, Lord? How long am I gonna, am I gonna be doing this mundane work that it has no purpose, no value? And the Lord would tell me, what are you working for? You're working for your boss here at a line? Are you working for the customer here to change out his filter, which he doesn't even care about? Because if you're working for that, no wonder you're frustrated. He's like, I called you to go start a church. I called you to go to work so that you can help fund the church. So who are you working for? And I was like, I'm working for you, Lord. And all of a sudden it changes, it changes my heart. Putting on worship music now when I work or being open to when people want to talk to me at work and, and allowing those little moments also. So we work for the Lord. In verse 11, it says, Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. So this is now the next portion of our account this morning, a, a kind of a change of gears here. That as he's journeying, there through... Samaria and Galilee, there's these 10 lepers who are, again, notice they're standing afar off. And the reason being is leprosy is an infectious disease. It causes severe, disfiguring skin sores and nerve damage in the arms, leg, and skin in areas around your body. More recently, they, they've changed the title of leprosy to Hansen's disease, and it is mostly treatable not easily cured. But lepers in that culture back then who didn't have those types of, of medicines, they would be put out of town, quarantined. It was like they were in forever COVID land and they would be stuck there, not allowed. It was like they were the unvaccinated, right, at that point. <laughs> and they would put them in a little bin and put a, no. But what they, they were ostracized from the community. And it, it was a sad thing to be a leper then. So they're standing afar off from Jesus. And then it says in verse 13, And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, 
Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, as they went, they were cleansed. So they're calling out from Jesus from afar. And maybe that's how us today, maybe we're, we're, we're not, we're, we're feeling far away from Jesus today and we just need to call out to him, have mercy, have compassion on me. So draw us close to you. And Jesus calls out to them and says, hey, go in faith to the priests. Now, back then, before they were to present themselves to the priests, because there was a whole way of themselves getting out of that quarantine lockdown mode, is they would have to, first of all, be healed. And then they would go to the priest, and the priest would perform sacrifice before them. And if it seemed like they were healed, then the priest would allow them to be back into the community. But they had to be healed first. Now Jesus says first, go to the priest. He doesn't even say to them, be healed first. He says, go to the priest. So he tells them really to take a a step of faith now. And as they're going along the way to the temple, to the synagogue, suddenly I'm sure some of them of these 10 guys were like, hey, like my arm, it's like, it looks good again. I could see my skin, it's, it's being revived. And sometimes God is going to take you, is going to ask you to take a step of faith when you don't have the sight of what's coming next. And those are the scary things in life. Like he told Abram, he told Abram, Abram, go out of the country to a land that I'm going to take you to. He said, just get out of your country. And he's like, well, where am I going to go? He didn't even give him that instruction yet. Sometimes we're thinking, okay, I need to get to step 100. I'm on step one. So, uh, Lord, how do I get from step 99 to step 100? And God's like, well, let's, let's just take step two for now. <laughs> and then I'll get you more instructions when we get there. So it's step by step sometimes. So they went. Can you imagine if some of them, all, as they were like, go to the temple. Like, we're not even healed yet. I'm just going to stay here and chill. Like, I don't want to work. I don't want to take that step of faith. What if it doesn't work? But here Jesus performed a miracle merely by giving the command. Go present yourselves. And as they walked, they were healed. Which leads me to my fifth point. Don't complicate faith. It's so easy for us to realize that salvation is deep that we then begin to say, well, it's got to be complicated, right? It's got to be some sort of going up to the tallest tower and slaying the dragon and and winning the princess in order for us to gain salvation, right? No, it's not that at all. I've heard it called the KISS method. You're like, the KISS method, yeah. It's K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. That's the method that we are to take. Just say, look, it's by faith in Christ that we are saved. Do you guys remember the account of Naaman in the Old Testament, the Syrian commander? He also had leprosy. And he wanted to be healed. And he, he found out that there was a prophet who had come near his region named Elisha. And so he sent his servants to ask Elisha to come to him to heal him. And Elisha came by, but he didn't even go out to meet Naaman, the Syrian commander, but he just sent a servant to Naaman. And the servant told Naaman, who was ill with leprosy, go in the Jordan seven times and bathe seven times and you're going to be healed. And Naaman was like, 
wait a second. First of all, the guy doesn't come out to greet me, okay? So he's already offended. I, w- I wanted to meet this prophet. And second of all, out of all the beautiful rivers that he could have told me to go to, he wants me to go to the Jordan and bathe in that nasty river. And he's like, forget it. And he's journeying back home, and one of the servants tells Naaman, hey, hey, bro. And he said bro to him. He said, if he would have told you to do something incredible and hard and challenging, you would have gladly done it. Because he told you to just simply go to the river and, and, and bathe, now you don't want to do it? And Naaman's heart was softened, and he said, you know what, you're right. So he goes, and, and instead of even bathing seven times, he just dips seven times in the water. Just let me check, take the fastest route out of this. And God still heals him, and he's healed. And then he ends up being thankful and humbled, and he rewards that prophet Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even accept the reward. But the gospel message is simple. See, in our pride, we try to save ourselves, don't we? But Jesus just wants us to accept him. Look at verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So see the Samaritan and the Jews, they actually had an animosity towards each other culturally. They were racist and and prejudiced towards each other because Samaritans were half Jewish and half Assyrian. So because of that, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. But Jesus, he didn't listen to those so-called cultural taboos that existed in that time. He didn't care about the race. He didn't allow that to stop him from doing his work of healing the leper. And we shouldn't also then submit ourselves to these cultural taboos and political correctness as we are trying to minister to people. In verse 17, it says, So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? And were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So I recognize your look. Out of the nine, out of the ten people, only one of them came back to worship Jesus. Because there is that type of faith that's a healing faith, which all ten of them received. But then there's a praising faith. There's a faith that says, I, I want to praise God and be thankful for what he's done in my life. And sometimes we want the healing without the surrender, which is wrong. We should desire surrender. And it's tragic that sometimes God pulls someone out of the bonds that they were in just for them to turn around and go right back into it. So this morning we we realize, let's be thankful and appreciative for what God has been doing in our life. So we've seen a few things this morning. We saw to let God deal with offenses, to forgive the offender, to ask Jesus to increase our faith that he can help us with this, to serve Christ and not to demand or call the shots from God. And lastly, let's not complicate faith. Let's keep it simple. Let's pray.